This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Good afternoon. This is from the True Dharma Eye, Case 29, Daoists Won't Say. Wanyin once accompanied his teacher Daowu on a condolence call to a family funeral. When they arrived, John Yun tapped the coffin and said, Is this life or is it death? Daowu said, I won't say life, I won't say death. Yin Wan said, Why won't you say? Daowu said, I won't say, I won't say. On the way back, Yin Wan said, you should quickly say it for me or I'll hit you. Dao said, hit me if you will, but I will not say. Jin Yang, probably pronounced it five different ways, hit him. Boom. After returning to the monastery, Dao said to Yin Wan, you should leave for a while. I'm afraid if the head monastic finds out about this, he'll make trouble for you. After Dao passed away, Yin Wan went to see Dao's successor, Shi Huang Kuizu, told him his story, and asked for guidance. Xin Wang said, I won't say life, I won't say death. Yin Wan said, Why won't you say it? Xin Wang said, I won't say it, I won't say it. Yin Wan immediately realized it. I've been wondering lately about the great matter, life and death, and its relationship to practice. I can recall when I started, it was all about that. It was all about framed, if you die before you die, you will not die when you die. That was it, at least as I experienced it. But things have changed and mellowed, and the energy has um, changed with the times and in many ways become much more appropriate and gentle and um, holding all manner of questioning as an entrance into practice. Nevertheless, I I feel a subtle tendency when I read the Buddhist magazines and our general culture related to that, that somehow the matter of life and death and the realization of that has um, been bypassed a bit, maybe a lot. You know, I've always regretted that during Sashin we don't do the the closing gatha um, because it Puts you right there. Puts you right there. And, you know, as I said, associated with this is, um, is realization, which to me and to my mind and to my practice is what we're doing here with larger implications, of course. That of compassion, 
that of taking it into the world. Yet at the same time, all of this rests on the Buddha's awakening, on his questioning this matter of life and death, old age, sickness, and his journey, and his realization, and his teaching out of that. And I always figured, first because of my own journey and relationship to these questions, but also as a model of my practice, if it's good enough for him, then it's good enough for me to take that up. But it's much more personal to me. In the midst of all that we do and all the activities of our life, and Sashin and Ango and the challenging topics that we're exploring in this Ango, which are really challenging, some of it visible and on the surface, some of it less so, and trying to make a, a transition from a relatively small group of beyond fear of differences into the general Sangha, some of whom will relate to that and some of whom have clearly stated they're not going to relate to that. And how to do that, which nobody knows how to do that, uh, to address these fundamental places within us personally and our society um, that has conditioned us and our privileges or lack of privileges that deeply affect all of us. And it, it is race, but not just race. It is gender, but not just gender. It is sexuality and sexual preference, but not just that, and on and on and on. So in the midst of all this, in the ongoing challenge of staying present in this body and mind, to this moment, with these issues, it can be helpful to ground ourselves, to be present, fully present as best we can, both a practice and the realization of being present and what that means. And that being present is being present in our life. And there are implications in our life that are in this koan. And so we're in a time and place in this room which invites us to do that, to, to see our mind, which often will not be present, be distracted in some moments, and be present in other moments, and to bring all of our awareness to that. We can take a deep breath, and we can reconnect with the question that we might not wish to acknowledge, but which is always present. We have some inkling of this life. After all, we're living it. We can describe it. We can look at it from many different perspectives. We can acknowledge what we have before us and what we look forward to. We can acknowledge, acknowledge what we call our things that we've done well and things perhaps not so well. But here it is. With all that, we, our sense of self, our being that lives and enjoys, that appreciates and loves, that has emotions and depths of feeling, this being that we know and we are, will die. It's kind of bottom line. 
the coffin Ying Wan was tapping on is ours, will be ours. I suspect that because of this sense of our death approaching, we'll never go away. Although we may do our best to let it slide away. You know how we slide off things that we are not eager to acknowledge or face. That this is the cause of our underlying anxiety that's built into life. Every one of us who is alive knows this anxiety of disease, of dissatisfaction, of wanting something different or more or less, or not even being willing to acknowledge that, just being numb to it. So we may know intellectually that without dying there cannot be life. Still, our particular death is our death. It's personal. In our dying, we may come to realize there is no one else. There has never been another. We are dying. So it is that personal, although we may not realize that, or we may have and forget it until a certain time comes. But me, meaning you, me, going to die. You're alive, then you're dead. Have you ever tried to imagine you being dead? I mean, I have. Maybe that's common. I would guess to some extent we do that. And, you know, you can't. (laughs) You really can't because you're doing it from a place of consciousness and being alive. And so you're separated from death, seemingly separated from death. So Yin Yang once accompanied his teacher Dawi, Dawu, on a condolence call to a family funeral. I don't know, but I'll bet you a dollar that that was not an accidental accompaniment. The master knows his students, knows who to take on a condolence call. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've been at a viewing. There's a room full of people, family, friends, and a body, an open coffin, probably. Does it make you uncomfortable to be at a viewing? I mean, does it make you uncomfortable to be face-to-face with a dead person, a corpse, right there near you? Have, you? have you experienced that? You're in the room, there's talking, usually some, some background noise, loud talking even. Remembrances, a lot of eyes not looking at this corpse, a few perhaps looking, a very few go up. That's been my experience. In our mind, we can certainly acknowledge death. But now before us is a dead being. And really, this presentation is probably as neat and clean a package as death can be. If you really want to be impressed with death, then maybe you've had the chance to see somebody who's dead from a bad automobile accident. Or if you spent some time in an emergency room. Or other kinds of trauma and violence. Or war. 
when you know the person, how do you feel about this body that's before you? Sorrowful? Is there confusion, fear, numbness, awkwardness, appreciation, remembrance? I'm thinking of um, in my own life how suddenly death has come to some people. A couple was walking along in a country road and the husband looks up at an apple tree and falls to the ground dead. They were holding hands. My sister is sitting in a chair eating dinner. She's healthy. And she says to her husband, Oh, it hurts so much. And falls to the ground dead. My father, 88 years old, healthy, in the casino, where he's doing what he's been doing a lot of his life, usually pretty successfully, not always. And he wins, and he reaches for the pot, and he falls to the ground. Up $600. (laughs) I suspect if you had asked my father while he was alive how he'd like to die, he would have said just that way. (laughs) So Yin Wan tapped the coffin and said, is this life or is it death? We all know that when we die, we're dead. We won't know this then because we won't know anything. We're dead. More personally, we, you and I now, alive, thinking, speaking these words, can say, I am dead. We can say those words. But it doesn't translate because we're still alive. Kinwan's question is not casual. How about for you? Is it casual? Is it skippable? Is it alive? Does it have depth for you? Can we forget about it as soon as this talk is over? And if it is a question, what can we possibly do about it? We're going to die. And yet that question and that knowledge that we're going to die in a sense, infects our whole life. Infects and affects our whole life. What is the meaning of your living since you will die? I I mean that truly. What is the point of your life? You're living it day by day. What are you doing? Where's it going? What is it? The days are ticking off. I think we get... I might have this wrong. 50,000 days, something like that. Maybe 40,000, I forget. Something like that. Is there a meaning in your death? Is there a meaning in your life? What is death from your perspective? Implicit in these questions is who is the one asking? So when one asks, is this life or is it death? There's a a question beneath that, an implied question. 
about his own existence. Dao said, I won't say life, I won't say death. Jin Yan said, why won't you say? Dao said, I won't say, I won't say. Is it Dao cannot say? Can't answer the question. Or is he not saying it? Or is he saying it? If he can say, why won't he say? What would you say? Is it life? Is it death? I've told this story before, but I think it fits right here. When my father died, he was laid out in a casket, the cheapest possible casket, because we were about to cremate him. And that was my mother's perspective, which I think was worthy of consideration. And um, so we're in a relatively small room with my father on a, I guess, a, a wheeled cot in this basket. And in the room is uh, my mother, his wife of 50-something years, and um, his son, me, and Deho, my wife. Not in the room are my two sisters who are outside. The door is closed. They could not be in the room. Anger, resentment, fear. Although I can tell you my father did nothing, fun- nothing fundamentally wrong. Didn't harm them in any way. At least from my perspective. And my mother's frozen. In shock. And was standing there. And without hesitation, Ayo leans over and kisses my father on the forehead. Now think about that in other terms. She kissed a corpse. You know, we can frame it that way. But that doesn't address this koan. And I leaned over and kissed my father goodbye. And then my mother leaned over and kissed my father goodbye. So what would you say? Alive or dead? Is the answer even the point? On the way back, Yin Wan said, you should quickly say it for me, or I will hit you. Dao said, hit me if you will, but I will not say. And Yin Wan hit him. Perhaps you can feel Yin Wan's anguish and pain and deep desire to address this question. He really wants to know. Impermanence is the essential basis of life. It's inescapable. It intrinsically creates our anxiety of change, of death, and especially of your own death. Yet impermanence is life. Impermanence is Buddha nature. Impermanence is what the Buddha realized. We kind of all know this because we see it in front of us moment to moment. It's built in. This moment. Take this moment. Well, take this moment, you know. Take it, grab it, hold on, package it. And we know we can't do that. The Buddha said, all compounded phenomena disintegrate. And we too are made of parts. So all of us fall apart. Another blunter way to say that is that everything dies. And 
All of samsara is a subtle or obvious way to deny this. I mean, this can depress us with the finality of the undeniable. It can be pretty depressing. Or it can inspire us to see more deeply into the life we now live. No matter what life we've lived up to now, I've seen people live not necessarily a wholesome life. Let's put it nicely. And yet in the course of a couple of months of dying, in essence, be totally intimate with that process of their dying. Completely present. Now, I'm just saying this, and it sounds like, oh yes, it was this way, and now it's that way. But of course it's not. It's much more challenging and messier than that. But nevertheless, I've seen that happen. So our coming death can inspire us to ask, how can I be free within the inevitability of my coming death? How can I be free within the inevitability that I will die? And of course, that's also asking, how can I be free within this life? Because that inevitability of your death is this life. They're not other. So it's going to happen, actually, happening right now. What does it mean for me, personal me, to live, to really live out of my birthright that the Buddha and so many awakened beings said is mine? What does that mean, to live out of the wholeness, the fundamental wholeness that is our birthright? To live out of that within the context of our coming death. Impermanence, death, is part of that, is not a problem to be solved. It's inescapable. We're not going to solve it. Everything changes. Everything goes away. Impermanence is our life. This is what we are. It is you. After returning to the monastery, Dawi said to Yin Wan, You should leave for a while. I'm afraid if the head monastic finds out about it, he'll make trouble for you. Obviously, hitting the master was a great transgression. I've sometimes wondered what I would do if someone hit Chugan Roshi. (laughs) I know what would have happened if someone hit Daito Roshi. (laughs) After Dawi passed away, which was later, Yinwan went to see Dawi's successor, Xu Wang Guinsu. I apologize. Told his story and asked him for guidance. Again, there's nothing casual here. It kind of sounds casual in the words, but there's nothing casual going on here. Is this life or is it death? He's asking. Am I life? Am I alive? Am I dying? Am I dead? What am I? Can you feel him in this? She swung said, I won't say life, I won't say death. Yin one said, why won't you say it? She swung said, I won't say it. I won't say it. And Yin one awoke. What did he realize? In that moment, what did he realize? 
Daidaroshi wrote a commentary on this. He says, Grappling within the forest of brambles, Zen practitioners the world over probe the question of life and death. Before it is realized, it's like a 10-mile-high wall or a bottomless gorge. After it is seen, it is realized that, from the beginning, the obstructions have always been nothing but the self. Lost in the double barrier of life and death that the monastic has to know. Because of intimacy, the old master won't say. From the time of the Buddha down to the present, this is how it's been. However, if you think this old koan is about the corpse being alive or dead, then you too have missed the old master's teaching. There is no place to put this gigantic body. When the universe collapses, it is indestructible. I can hear Dido's voice in the sendo saying this. When I started Zen practice in the 1970s, the practitioners were usually young, as was I once. There were occasional memorial services, usually for relatives of practitioners. Now there are so many more of us within the Sangha who are aged. Many of our members have died often first aging out of formal practice and then fading away. A bit later, their name comes back into consciousness when we have a memorial service for them upon their death. It's not uncommon. I mentioned in the past, because my life, since I was a young child, contained the deaths of those around me. And that's been a constant companion for me. And I suspect this is one of the reasons why I relate so deeply to this practice, to these questions. As we age, we see close friends and brethren die, often unexpectedly, sometimes without warning. And I have a much more intimate relationship with my coming death And yet, sitting here now, alive and relatively well, I can say on one hand, I'm at peace with my dying. And on the other hand, I'm desperate to go even deeper, to be clearer about who it is that dies. We'll see how it goes. That over, she said, before it is realized, it is like a 10 mile-high wall or a bottomless gorge. After it's seen, it's realized that from the beginning, the obstruction has always been nothing but the self. Of course. It's the same inquiry, no matter what direction we approach it from. Suffering, our death, loss, anxiety, fear, depression. We're afraid. We're anxious. And yet our death is not now. At least I hope that's true for the rest of this talk. So we can safely, because it's not now, push it forward towards the future. A future that will never come. Because the future is always 
Not now. Later is always very safe because it's not now. And so we do our dance as our life goes on. Impermanence seems to be a bit irrelevant simply because it does not seem to be now but in the future. Yet we are impermanent. We are change. This is our nature. There's nothing that is apart from this or is outside it. And this impermanence is right here before our eyes. It's called reality. Usually we can't see it clearly. Or if we do, we kind of slide away from it. I mean, what would you do with impermanence anyway? Who would you be if you realized impermanence as yourself? The Buddha said, all conditioned things have the nature of vanishing. Everything is that nature. You and I, whatever you encounter. That wonderful oak tree up the path, that magnificent tree, it's already fallen. We just don't see it occurring. But it is. It's already rotting. We don't see it, but it is. It's not that something vanishes later. Right now, everything is in some way that we don't understand in what way, vanishing before our very eyes. You get a sense of this in Zazen. Everything is in this mind. The reality we experience is is this mind. What do we find when we quiet down a bit? Thoughts as they arise, and as they arise, they vanish, unless we continue them. And there's appearing, birth, and disappearing, death, in the process. We're experiencing that. We're experiencing impermanence with our mind when we shut up enough to see our own mind. And we're studying that. We're carefully, carefully studying that. Of course, we don't step back and say, well, we're studying impermanence. Each thought coming up is impermanent because that would be studying thoughts about impermanence. We're directly studying it to the best of our ability in that moment. Lost in the double barrier of life and death, the monastic has to know. Because of intimacy, the old master won't say. What is the old master intimate with? The monastic? The monastic's question? Intimate with his life and death? From the time of the Buddha to this present moment, this is how it's been. Dao Wu won't say. Shi Wang won't say. They could have said something, something consoling, something helpful. But what? Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's all okay. Well, we live in a life that sells us this, right? Manipulates us so subtly. I mean, the most talented people, creative people in the world are doing this. Telling us this. Selling us this. When I ask these questions of a rabbi, a priest, a minister, in one way or another, they talked about it. Not it. About it. Have faith in God, son. 
The Bible says all of us die. It's natural and essential for the living that we die, says the scientist. That did not help me. I wanted to know for myself, who is this one who lives? Who is this one who dies? However, if you think this old koan is about the corpse being alive or dead, then you too have missed the old master's teaching. Of course. It's not about the corpse being alive or dead. It's about you being alive or dead. You answer the monastic's question for yourself. Alive or dead? Here we sit. Alive or dead? If you say alive, you miss your coming death, which is happening right now. If you say dead, well, you miss your life, which is happening right now. If you don't say, well, okay. But what have you seen? Speak, speak, alive or dead. Dido's capping verse. In arriving, not an atom is added. This life is called the unborn. In departing, not a particle is lost. Thus death is called the unextinguished. So Dido lays it all out for us in these wonderful Zen phrases, which I deeply relate to and quote all the time. And although this may be so, is that enough? There's a couple of things I've learned in Zen practice. No matter who you are, no matter how clear you are, no matter how enlightened or how deluded, you're going to die. And in the process of dying, in that process, at no point is death apart from this moment of our living. Never is it apart at any moment. Now, here. And although you and I may have some understanding of the non-dual nature of this life, we still must practice our death. Seeing Zen masters die and ordinary deluded people die, it always comes down to this. How will you live? How? How will you die? Will you live your life and death out of the non-dual nature of life and death? And what does that mean? How do you do that? And nobody, absolutely nobody, is exempt from that question. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.